Hello and welcome once again to another devotional podcast. We'll do a rather long passage today. Actually, it is uh, what was meant to be today's and tomorrow's and uh, combined. But I decided to combine the two passages because seen in the context, it makes a lot more sense. If seen separately, it seems to be like three disparate uh, stories. The first is about the lost sheep. The second is about dealing with sin in the church. And the third is about the unforgiving servant. And they seem to be contradicting each other. For example, the one on the discipline, the dealing with sin in the church, it looks as though it is a way of excommunicating a brother. And then the, the third story comes back to forgiveness. How does forgiveness and telling another about his sin and telling the church about the sin and treating the person as a tax collector and a sinner. How do they jive together? Does that go against what Jesus taught about judging one another as well? They don't make, seem to make sense when looked separately. And along the way, though, then also there is this part about if two or three of you agree on anything, um, it will be done for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with you. And this has so commonly been used as uh, a teaching on prayer together, on small groups, on fellowship. But how do these passages, these stories come together? Well, when we read the, all these together, we begin to make some sense of it. So, uh, I'll read from Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 to 35. Let us pray. Father, speak your truth to us, that in knowing your truth, we may know your heart. We may know the things that are most important to you. But in so doing, we may also know the power that you have given to us, the power to work miracles, the power to do things which we never thought we could, that in the end, you may have your way and your will will be done. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Matthew 18, verses 12 to 35. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything that they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. 
Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. A man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servants fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We begin with the story from verse 12 to 14 of the lost sheep. Jesus says that there were hundred, if there were 100 sheep and if one left, the owner of the sheep would leave the 99 on the hills and just go and look for the one that wandered off. And when he finds the one that wanders off, he will be happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. What God is saying is that every person is precious to him. That he is so much more full of joy when he finds one lost person. Now that's at the heart of the gospel. It's not about great numbers. It's not about many people joining the church. It's about God finding the one lost person. Now we must keep bearing this in mind, that God does not wish, would not want even one person to leave his fold. Think then about the church fellowship. How often in our fights some fall away. I mean, if one falls away uh, or one sins and falls away and goes to another church, that's not so bad. But if one falls from the fold, whether it's from conflict or just disillusionment, or one just backslides or commits sin and leaves the fold, how much does God long for that person? We don't just count numbers and say, well, we lost two, we gained five, so net, net gain is three and praise the Lord, we've got three more members. That's not the way God works. He cares for that two that were lost and that's important to him. We have to bear that in mind. And so while bearing that in mind, then we look at the next passage, which seems to be about excommunication. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Now, seen in the context of the lost sheep, pointing out the fault isn't about dispute resolution. Isn't about going to see, telling the person, hey, you wronged me, you you really hurt me. Well, we could say that. And if the person says no, then gather one or two others. That's not to find witnesses to say, hey, you are wrong, to get out. And then if the person refuses, tell it to the church. For many people, this seems to be like excommunication. If he still doesn't listen, then cast him out as a tax collector and a pagan. 
But think for a while, how does God, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? He said earlier on that he would be supping with them, he would be dining with them, drinking with them, because the ill, the sick, are those who need a doctor. He would treat every tax collector as someone precious to God, like a lost sheep, like one who needs a physician. And Jesus is there to minister to them, to wait on them, to touch them. See, so the gathering of the church, and I believe it's not this huge church of a few hundred, but it could be a church called, considering it a small group perhaps, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 people. And this body is to know that this person is in sin. What do they do then? They gather to treat him as someone precious to God and to be ministered to. Think about that then. When someone sins, Approach him. Approach him not to condemn him, not to judge him, but because you see a sheep who is straying from the fold. First of all, there must be deep affection. There must be love for that brother. The only reason why you approach that person is because you care very much for that person. You don't want that person to slip away. So we may ask, what are these sins that we should approach a person? Bible doesn't tell there's no reason to know. It could be any sin that will cause a person to leave the fellowship of the church, the fellowship of this community, of this body. Anything that would lead to disillusionment, anything that would lead to sliding, slipping away from God. Only then, out of concern, will you approach that person and then speak to that person with one aim, that he or she come back to the fold. And if she or he or she refuses, then speak to one or two other persons, continue to persuade, and then to the church, and the church persuades. Because you see then, the next thing that says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that you've got the power to bring the person back. You have the power to lead that person back, to win that person back. And then he goes on in verse 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. You see, this principle makes a lot of sense when read together with restoration, together with bringing a brother or sister who is slipping away back into the fold. It begins with God being, seeing each person as precious, every sheep as precious, not as net gain, net loss, but rather as an individual that means a lot to him. And this shepherd will leave everything just to look for that lost sheep. And so when someone is getting lost, the person who sees it is called to go and pull that person back to speak with him or her. And if that one person isn't strong enough to get several, and if those several cannot get the church to continue to persuade, to minister to, to win over that one lost person, and then to pray together. And the promise is this, that when we gather to pray together, God will answer because there he will be in the midst of us. And he has given the church, 
the power to bind and to lose. I know that many of you have been praying for loved ones who have perhaps backslided. Some of them were in the fellowship of our church, some of our young people, our children, and for some reason they have left the faith, they've left the church, they've wandered off. And I urge you then, pray in faith. Pray for each of them in faith and you will see miracles take place before your eyes. Because God's promise is this, that we have the power to lose and to bind. And that where two or three are gathered, there He is, Christ is in the midst of us. And when two of us pray together, it will be given. What we have asked for will be given. God cares for restoration. God cares for each person who has backslided, who has left the faith. He wants us to pray, to minister, to draw them back to the fold. But then God, Jesus continues the story of forgiveness. The question of forgiveness. How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. I was speaking to a friend the other day and we were talking about what was a reasonable number of times one would forgive. And the friend said, you know, after maybe three times, I begin to wonder whether an apology is worse or non-apology is worse. Because an apology begins to sound insincere, sounds fake. If I see no signs of change, no signs of repentance. If a person offends me once, and says he's sorry, I will forgive. If a person then does the same thing, I will find it harder to forgive, but well, maybe I'll still forgive. But after the third apology and there's no signs that he or she is going to change, I mean, I wonder, is this person really sincere? Is this, does this person really mean it? Is this person mocking me or just taking me for a fool? The apologies begin to sound hollow and I get even more angry that the person should apologize. Perhaps that person should not even bother to apologize and sound so make the apologies sound so hollow. I thought about that and I saw truth in that. Five times doing the same thing. What does that person take me for? A fool? <clears throat> Forgive five times? And still not a single sign of change? I mean... Clearly, a leopard doesn't change its spots. This person is not committed at all to make a change. Even if there was a little bit of repentance, even if there was a little sign of change, some improvement might convince me. But five times with no change, that's no commitment at all. That's just, that's just rubbish. And so when I think of Peter asking Jesus up to seven times, he was being generous. Because when you look at a person who has apologized six times or a person who has not apologized and has sinned against us seven times, you wonder now, is this just all fake? Is this just nothing at all? Why should I forgive a person who has no intention and no commitment to change? It is all a farce. And so Peter was probably trying to be as generous as he could. Seven times is the limit. Well, for me, probably five times is the limit. For some others, four times would be the limit. And really, they are very reasonable limits. And then Jesus says, 70 
or seven, not seven times, but 77 times. Other versions say 70 times, seven times, but actually it doesn't matter because anything more than seven times blows the mind. If it's 77 times, what are you thinking of? Forgiving this person 77 times for the same offense? You must be kidding. I mean, you are doing a serial sinner. You are trying to accept someone who is refusing to sin. You are being indulgent. You're just saying, okay, I forgive you from my heart for all your insincerity. And that really cuts to us. But then I pause and I think of myself. And I think of the parable that Jesus tells of the king who wanted to settle accounts. And he found the servant owed him 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold is really innumerable. But it kind of sums up my sin and my number of apologies I've made to God. When I think of the times when I have sinned, when I've gossiped, when I've lied, when I've looked lustfully, when I've, I don't know what else I've done, when I've sworn, when I've cursed, when I've wished people dead, when I have been insincere, when I've broken my promises, any of these. And I remember how many times I've said sorry to God and I've said, God, last time, this one, last one. And I've done it again and again and again. Come to think of it, if if an outsider, if a third party were just to <clears throat> count the number of times I committed just one kind of sin against God, Let's just talk about gossip. Just the number of times I've gossiped and then I looked up to God and said, Oh gee, I'm sorry. And then repeated the sin again and again. The nth time until I feel like, hey, I really don't think I should say sorry. I mean, it's so hollow. Maybe I should just hide my face and bury my head in the sand and forget about it. Because it's so many times, I don't think I even sound a little bit sincere. Just think of those number of times I have sinned and said sorry and sinned and decided, given up saying sorry and still continue to sin. 10,000 bags of gold, that about sums it all. And then I think of the one whom I call incorrigible because he has sinned against me six times and he has said sorry and I say this, your sorry isn't worth anything shows no sincerity, it shows no commitment, you're just a plain liar. I don't believe, I don't accept your apologies anymore. You have crossed the line. Would I have expected God to say that of me as well, the way I've said it to those others who have sinned and offended me six times, seven times, ten times, and those I've given up hope on, and those I've said don't deserve forgiveness anymore because they will never change. I don't know. Really, this comparison of 10,000 bags of gold versus 100 silver about sums up what's been happening. That of all that God has forgiven me, I have barely forgiven another person. But I've written them off counting them as unworthy of forgiveness. 
But God has never once counted me as unworthy of forgiveness. God keeps on forgiving, doesn't give up on me. He doesn't call me incorrigible or say that a leopard doesn't change its spots, doesn't say I'm insincere or uncommitted. He still hopes for me to change. And perhaps then I could also hope even after the 700th time that the one who continues to offend me will change with or without an apology because God did that with me. And so we look at the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. God wants restoration. A sheep that is lost is worth so much more. A sheep that is lost and found is, brings so much more joy to him than those who are not lost at all. That's the yearning heart of God. He doesn't write the sheep off. He doesn't say, well, that's too bad. That's the end of it. And then God says, if you will make any attempt to reach out to that lost brother or sister, if you will gather in twos and threes and pray for his restoration, why wouldn't I restore him? Why wouldn't I bring that person back into the fold? Because there's so much power in your prayer. There is so much power in your gathering together. Will you believe that? And become a people who will forgive because we know that we have been forgiven. Who will gather to pray for those who have left the fold and believe that they will come back because God will answer our prayers. Let us pray. Father, first of all, I pray that you allow me to see the gravity of my own sin. Allow me to see how often I have sinned, said sorry, sinned again, said sorry, sinned again, said sorry, sinned again, said sorry, and then stopped saying sorry because I was too ashamed to say I'm sorry anymore, but still kept sinning. Father, help me to see that by my own judgment, I would have been considered condemned, would have written myself off, that by my standards I would have said that I was insincere and unworthy of forgiveness. But you didn't judge me by my standards, you judged me by no standards at all, you did not judge me. But you forgave me again and again and again. Help us each to see this in our own lives. That as much as we deserved your desertion, your condemnation of us. You refuse to desert us, nor condemn us. But you keep embracing us. Allow that truth to sink deep into our hearts, that we may do the same for another who has done far lesser offences, far fewer times than we have ever done to you. Father, we may indeed be a forgiving community, a community that knows that we have been forgiven and who then forgives in return. Give us, make us a community of faith that believes that as we pray for each person who has left the fold or each person who is not even in the fold, 
even as we pray for them, you will bring them into the fold because you hear our prayers and because each one is important to you. Inscribe these truths to our hearts as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'll see you all here from you. You'll hear from me again tomorrow and have a blessed day. Goodbye.